invite you to find the book of Philippians, and we're going to be studying chapter 4 in just a few moments. We'll be reading a few verses from that chapter. We are coming to the end of our study of the book of Philippians today, and then next week we'll finish our, our study. And as we begin this morning, I don't know how many of you receive uh, mission letters from missionaries that we support here at Grace uh, or if you're, you're like me, I get letters from friends that are in the ministry that, that we don't necessarily support here at Grace. But I was reading through several of them yesterday, trying to get caught up in, in reading through them. And I want to read you a section from, from just two of them. This is a missionary family we don't support here at, at Grace, but they are, they are ministering in Spain. And they wrote this. They said, we give God the praise for $3,700 that was sacrificially given by several churches and individuals toward the startup cost of our new facility. Thank you for praying as we continue this faith mission, trusting that God will lead us each and every step. Another one, uh, these are Bible translators that are serving in uh, Miramar. And they work with Bibles International. Their, their ministry is translating the Bible into languages that otherwise do not have a copy of the scriptures in their language. They wrote this. They said, in response to our last prayer letter, we received an incredible gift toward our next vehicle that more than meets our remaining need. When buying a vehicle here in Miramar, it pains me to tell you that it's two or three times the cost that it would be in the United States. When I read through these, I'm often challenged by passages of Scripture like we find in Philippians 4. When Paul says this in verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know... That in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, none, zero, no church, except only you, he's going to say, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, Listen to this. I love verse 17. Paul's saying he's not like the typical, what we get in our minds of pastors and missionaries that are always in our minds asking for money. Okay, Paul says it very clearly. He says, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeking a gift from you. That's not the point. He says something very interesting in verse 17. He says, but I seek the fruit that increased to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase. I can't wait to get there in a minute when we, well, several minutes when we look at that phrase. I love that phrase. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know what your response to those verses are, but it just encourages me. The, these verses, I can just sense 
The, the, to me, these words kind of ooze Paul's thankfulness and enthusiasm while he's, by the way, sitting in a prison. But Paul here is talking about these faithful Philippian believers who have been consistently supporting him and helping him in his ministry. Now let's fast forward to 2020, soon to be 2021. I've read an article this week called What to Expect in 2021 with Church Giving Trends. And according to a study, again, we don't know, nobody can see the future, but according to most church experts, that we are en route for a very rocky 2021 on the horizon. As I asked you last time, everybody's excited to see 2020 end, and we have to live with the reality 2021 will likely be worse. That's encouraging, I know. But the economic damage that our culture has been through over the last several months, I think, personally, that it's just beginning to, to really see the effects of that. And in this article, they're talking about churches in particular. Here's some, here's some statistics for you. Only 3%, 3% of churches have currently reached their previous COVID pre-COVID-19 levels. Only 3%. The majority of churches that have reopened, their attendance has not recovered. Larger churches are reporting that they are only reaching about 35% of pre-COVID numbers. Smaller churches are about 50%. Here's a projection for you. This one's scary. Only 20% of people that have left suggest that only 20% of people that were attending that are no longer coming will never come back. 20%. It's projected that almost every church in America will see decline in 2021 and particularly see a significant decline in financial giving. Now, what do you do when you read articles like that? Wring your hands. Oh my, what's the world coming to? Now, I just quote Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, here's the reality for the American church. It was a reality for every other church in Macedonia. And, I, and we're going to start with this premise. God has commanded each and every believer in Christ to give financially to the work of the ministry. We're not even going to really discuss that much. I, I don't meet a lot of believers that question whether or not we are supposed to give to ministry. I do meet a lot of believers who have lots of excuses why they don't give to ministry. And so when Paul makes this statement, no other church has bothered to give. None. Zero. Only you. And so we understand that from the beginning of Scripture, throughout Scripture, we see command after command after command that God's expectation for His people is that they are to, to give financially to the work of God. Now, you may be sitting where you are right now and you already are rehearsing your excuses why you don't give. 
I want to challenge them a little bit. I don't know what they are. I'm not personally interested in what they are. They're between you and the Lord. But I want to give you today two reasons that we are to give financially. Number one, we give to support the work of ministry. Paul, back in verse 14, we didn't really read that. We kind of looked at it very briefly last week. But I want to just read verse 14 for you just a moment because I want to highlight a word that comes up in this verse. And it comes up, a form of it comes up again in verse 15 when Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. King James translates the word share as communicate. Okay, he's not talking about conversation. This Greek word means to become a partaker with someone else, to have fellowship with another person. In fact, I like how the ESV translates a form of this word in verse 15. It translates it as partnership. In other words, when Paul thinks about this church at Philippi, he is talking to them and, and, and praising them, if you will, for their partnership in gospel ministry. I've said this for a very long time. A very small percentage of people will be called into vocational ministry. That's not the majority of believers. An even smaller percentage, in my observation, are called into foreign missions to leave their homeland and go and to serve Christ in another geographical location. Those are pretty small percentages. So the other, let's just throw a percentage on it for conversation, and I'm making this up off the top of my head. Let's say it's 10% of believers are called into some level of vocational ministry. Does that mean that the other 90% are off the hook when it comes to gospel ministry? Absolutely not. In fact, the 10% or whatever the number is, cannot do effective ministry apart from the other 90% coming along in partnership, particularly through financial support. Churches don't print their own money, in case you didn't know. Missionaries don't print their own money, in case you didn't realize that. Paul is talking about, by the way, it's easy for us to, to sit here in our comfortable auditorium and think to ourselves, wow, man, I mean, if the Apostle Paul was on the scene, we'd be given to him. <laughs> Most people weren't. In fact, they were just busy criticizing him and slandering him. They were too busy with that than to give. It's kind of like the conversation, you know, that I've heard my whole life in my own family and extended family. Well, we don't give because I don't like how they use the money or I wouldn't have done that. So I'm not going to give. There was lots of churches doing that. Can't give to Paul. I mean, he, you know, who knows what the criticism was, but I'm sure it was there. So let's, let's just look at this for a moment. What, what is Paul talking about when he's talking about partnering with Paul? And, and, and what does this mean? Well, when the Apostle Paul arrived, by the way, in the city of Philippi, if you remember way back in the beginning, it's a place within Macedonia, the area known as Macedonia, there were exactly zero Christians there. None. There were no churches there. And by the, by the time Paul left the city, 
following a riot, of course, and following some time in jail, of course, there was a church established in the home of a lady named Lydia. And from its infancy, the church at Philippi understood the need for missions. They understood the need to give financially to the work of the ministry. Well, why? Because they saw what the gospel did for them. They understood that apart from the Apostle Paul coming into Philippi as a human instrument in the Redeemer's hands, apart from the Apostle Paul coming and sharing the gospel with them, they had no hope in eternity. And so it stood to reason that for this infant church, this, this beginning work of God in this city, they understood that what they had benefited from, and I'm going to get to this in a little bit, is that what they personally, experientially benefited from, they ought to then support Paul so he could go and share the same message of redemption in other places. No other church got that. No, no other church except, according to Paul, this one at Philippi consistently joined him in partnership. Now, they understood the implications of the gospel, again, once again, the King James uses the word communicated with. The idea is they joined in partnership with the Apostle Paul. Think back to some of the truth that Paul had shared with his church when he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me was really serving as an advancement of the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And he's saying to them, and you're my partner in that. You're not the one sitting in jail. You're not the one who has been put through these trials and tribulations the way the apostle Paul was. But Paul says, by God's grace, the entire imperial guard has been exposed to the gospel and you're my partner in that because you made it possible through your giving. You made it a reality. Paul tells them in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Look, Paul faced all kinds of challenges in the ministry. I've been in ministry long enough. Most of my close personal friends are either pastors in this country or they are missionaries somewhere else. And regardless of the geographical location, ministry is ministry. There's always challenges in ministry. Think about Paul for a moment. He was beaten, imprisoned. Thankfully, to this point, I've never experienced that. I've been threatened a couple of times, that's true, but I've never actually been physically harmed. I had one man I was pretty sure was coming over my desk to end my life, but he didn't. Obviously, I'm here with you. I had another guy I thought was going to blow me up. That's another story for another day. I'm pretty sure he had a bomb in his bag, but he didn't, by God's grace. I won't go there. That's a long, I'll get sidetracked for a long time on that story. But perhaps the most challenging aspect for the Apostle Paul was the number of churches who refused their support. Only the Philippian church took upon them the responsibility to partner with the Apostle Paul to be consistent givers to, to Paul so that he could continue on in his ministry. Now, we studied this last week. Yes, there was a couple of times in which the church stopped giving to Paul because they couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was. 
It wasn't because they stopped caring about Paul. It wasn't because they were not interested in his ministry anymore, but they couldn't physically find him. But notice what Paul says back in verse 15. I've kind of described for you the beginning part of this. And then he says, this partnership with me in giving and receiving only you. Now, this is an interesting phrase, giving and receiving. Paul rejoiced over them, and these terms, giving and receiving, are accounting terms. They're actually terms that were used in banking to describe debits and credits. Their financial support and their partnership had been recorded by God himself. Their faithfulness and financial supporting the gospel ministry was not unnoticed. This was something that that God himself was noticing. And here's the reality. Most churches, most churches in the day of Paul were perfectly willing to receive the benefits of the gospel. They just were not all that interested in giving. I'd, I'd argue nothing's changed. In fact, it may be that in our culture, we are far more comfortable receiving than we are with giving. Look at many churches is all about the country club mentality. What do I get from this ministry? What am I going to gain? What am I going to receive? What benefit is there in this ministry for me? Paul says the real blessing here, yes, we need to receive. We need to experience the benefits, if you will, of being a part of the family of God. That's true. But Paul says the real benefit is in giving, not in receiving. In verse 16, Paul continues. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. This was the next place that Paul went after he was pushed out of the town of Philippi. Now, you could have said, if you're a believer in Philippi at that time, you could have very easily have thought to yourself, you know what, Paul isn't here in Philippi anymore. He's gone on to Thessalonica. Let them take care of him. They should support him. No, they didn't think that way. Even when they went on to Thessalonica, they understood their continued need to give to the work of the ministry. And he says, again, in verse 17, not that I am seeking anything. Somebody sent this to me this week. I had never heard this phrase before, but I love it. In fact, I, I looked at a t-shirt to buy and walk around wearing this. Expect nothing. Appreciate everything. I love that. Isn't that good? Expect nothing. Paul didn't expect anything. He wasn't sitting around keeping tabs on who was giving him what. He didn't care about that. And I'll explain more about that in a minute. What he did care about is that whatever they gave, he was appreciative of that. And in, in our culture, we flip that. We expect everything and appreciate nothing or very little. And Paul understood that there was no expectation in ministry. He didn't expect the dime, but whatever they were giving, he was a man of appreciation and understood that what they were giving was ultimately for God's work, not for his own. Now, notice what he, you don't believe me. Maybe you don't believe that. Watch verse 17. 
but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul says the only reason that I care that you give is because it benefits you, not because it benefits me. Paul says, when I think about what it is giving toward you and the benefit, the spiritual benefit that it is giving toward you and toward your, your, uh, your relationship with God, he says, I am interested in this because it is compounding benefit to you. The spiritual growth that was accompanying this giving was certainly evident to the apostle Paul. They understood they weren't giving away anything. They were investing in the future. They were investing into the lives of others. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, their gift brought Paul joy, not because of its personal material benefit to him, but because of its spiritual benefit to them. What came to my mind was Matthew 6, when Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice in verses 18 and 19, Paul says, I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, he says. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, Notice this imagery, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and, and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to your, his riches. There were no strings attached with true giving. The Philippians could rejoice because they were a part of the work of God. Our giving is an act of worship. Notice Paul says that it pleases God, it brings pleasure to him, and giving, as I've mentioned, is not a new concept. God's people have always been called to give, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Churches don't apply dues to their members. They don't charge surcharges to worshipers. Some churches have tried that. Because worship is to be a matter of personal obedience. Giving is to be a matter of personal obedience. And notice this description that Paul gives. He says, it is a fragrant aroma. This is right out of the Old Testament imagery. In Leviticus 1.9, and the priest shall burn all of it on, an off, on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. An acceptable offering, Paul says. Again, imagery right out of the Old Testament, Leviticus 22. And when, your sacrifice, when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. And notice these two benefits that Paul says from our giving. Number one, God is pleased. God loves a cheerful giver, Paul says in 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves like living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But a second benefit of this giving, and I love this, 19, he talks about the fact that when we are giving and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. 
that there is this provision that God gives to us. And this is a promise, by the way, to meet our needs. This isn't a promise to get every one of your wants. It's not a promise to get everything that your heart desires. He says that God will supply your needs according to his riches. Now, I want to talk about that phrase for a moment because what he does not say is he doesn't say out of his riches. It's a very important distinction. He says, God is going to give you, supply to you, your every need according to his riches. Now, to illustrate that, imagine that this is completely imaginary, okay, that I have a million dollars in my bank account right now. I don't, but let's pretend that I did. And you came to me and you asked me for financial help. And I said, okay, I would be glad to help you. And I take out my checkbook and I write you a check for $10, and I hand it to you. I have helped you out of my riches. I gave to you 10 bucks, 10 bucks is 10 bucks, out of my riches. Imagine I have the same million dollars in my bank account, and you come to me again, you ask me for help, and I give you a blank check. And I say, you write in whatever amount you want up to a million dollars. I have now helped you according to my riches. Paul is saying, God isn't going to give you a measly 10 bucks here. The picture is whatever your need is, legitimate need, God will provide for you. This, this isn't a health and wealth gospel that we so often hear in our culture today, but Paul is saying that God will give according to his riches for those things that you need. Listen to some biblical imagery on this principle. Again, he's not saying you're going to get everything your little heart desires, in fact, very often what our little hearts desire are actually detrimental to us, and God loves you enough to tell you no. But listen to this picture. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. In other words, honor God with your financial well-being first. Not what's left over, not a few cents at the end of the month. Give out of your first fruits. Then, verse 10, this is Proverbs 3, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 22, 9, a generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Luke 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with what measure you see it, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I want to show you a video this morning. Because you may be wondering, when I give to missions, what happens? One of the missionaries I, I quoted in the beginning is with Baptist uh, Mid-Missions. And they are celebrating their 100th year of existence. And they sent us a video. And some of our current missionaries that we support are with Baptist Mid-Missions. And I wanted to give you this video, it's about five minutes long, as a taste for when I am giving to the work of the ministry what are our missionaries using those monies for? Watch the screens for a moment. Baptist Admissions has just celebrated its 100th anniversary. We want to thank your church for the part that you have played in partnering with us in fulfilling the Great Commission. In 1920, our founders set forth a vision that was twofold. First, they wanted to reach the millions of souls for whom Christ died, still waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it was their burden to awaken the churches of the United States in regards to their responsibility to take the gospel to the world. I'm thankful today that churches like yours have partnered with us Churches that have embraced their responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. Churches that have sent out and supported a missionary force that through the years has numbered into the thousands. A missionary force that God has used to see tens of thousands of souls saved and thousands of churches established. Missionary-led Bible schools and seminaries have trained pastors and Christian leaders to carry on the ministry. And our Bible Translation Society has provided God's word to those who had never read the Bible in their own language. So we say thank you. Thank you for being an integral part of this ministry. Rejoice with us for what has been accomplished to God's glory. By anyone's standard, 2020 has been an unusual year. The pandemic has affected ministry worldwide. And like you, our missionary family has adapted and risen to the challenges of ministry during COVID-19. Let me share a few of the highlights. In the jungles of Peru, the quarantine provided new ministry opportunities. From his rooftop each night, one of our missionaries led neighbors in singing Peru's national anthem and saluting the police and military. Then on Sundays, he preached from the rooftop through a loudspeaker. Their closest neighbors, Ander and Beitsabe, listened through a crack in the wall. Each decided to trust Christ as their savior, and others listened and received the Lord as well. Local high school officials in South Africa contacted our missionaries about providing food for students, some of whose parents had lost their jobs because of shutdowns. The team printed gospel cards and cooked and boxed 85 meals in three weeks. They also set up an online chat so those students could reach out for help in dealing with depression and stress due to the lockdowns. In Holland, our missionaries were forced to postpone April baptisms. They were rescheduled in June and July held outside and split into two separate events complying with mandated group sizes, but still allowing these believers to give testimony and to obey the Lord. In a creative access nation, our missionaries dedicated a church building addition, enabling them to seat 1,000 people. They also celebrated their 1,099th baptism, 
and dedicated the 15th Daughter Church, which was started through the outreach of the church's own missionaries. A 16th Daughter Church is currently under construction. In Cambodia, the church held their annual Bible conferences during the Buddhist holidays to provide believers with an alternative obligation to participate in so they could excuse themselves when pressured by family to take part in ancestor worship. Instead, they studied the living word and praised the living creator together. Because of a rise in COVID-19 cases and because the church's air conditioning wasn't working, the staff at a downtown Cleveland, Ohio ministry canceled their August vacation Bible school. In its place, one missionary took to the road with a VBS on God's creation. Bringing a decorated wagon, crafts, snacks, and mats for the kids, she taught two different groups of kids in front of their homes. A total of 40 children attended and learned about the power of God and the magnificence of His creation. In Peru, as the pressure of strict quarantine regulations found many without funds for basic necessities, our missionaries handed out food and essential supplies. Altogether, 100 people have made professions of faith in Christ, and over 30 of those continue in Bible studies to this day. This is just a small sampling of what God has done through the gospel in 2020. And the great thing is this, your church has had a part in reaching those people for Christ. You are the ones who have prayed. You are the ones who have given. You're the ones who have sent the missionaries to reach people for Christ. And so we're thankful for the part that you have played in that. Those missionaries have sown the seeds, they've watered, and God has given the increase. We thank God for what he has done, but we also want to thank you for the vital role that you have played in spreading the gospel of Christ across the globe. BMM enjoys a wonderful partnership with churches like yours in taking the gospel to a world that needs Christ. partnering in ministry looks like. Because we support missionaries that are with that organization, you were a part of that. A part of their ministry that is, that is reaching the world with the gospel. So I started thinking, what are some reasons that giving is, is down in churches? No, we did our financial update um, last, last, we do it once a month, uh, service, and our giving has been down, especially our missions giving, been significantly down. So why? Well, let me offer some suggested reasons. One, believers seem to be failing to recognize the church as God's program for this day. Somehow, somewhere, the church has become optional. Somehow, the body of Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ died to redeem, has become unimportant. That when the, entire, the entirety of the New Testament talks about the importance of the local body of Christ, for some reason, for too many New Testament believers today, the church has become Optional at best or irrelevant, not needed. So why would I give? Number two, I would suggest that believers are failing to recognize the believer's call to practice responsible stewardship over their lives. 
Not just in their money, in their lives. I love the definition that Contrites and Balmer present in their tremendous book called God and Money. They define stewardship as the active and responsible management of God's creation for God's purposes. Notice they didn't say anything about money. They said stewardship is the active and responsible responsible management of God's creation for God's purposes. Two key words in that definition. Stewardship requires action. We actually do something. That stewardship isn't just what am I going to receive? Remember Paul's imagery of giving and receiving. What am I going to give? Recently, um, uh, my youngest son found a $20 bill. That boy is loaded, by the way. He's going to be a banker someday. He has money all over the place. You need money? You need a loan? See my youngest son. He's loaded. He found a $20 bill somewhere. And he promptly decided with some influence from his mom that we were going to use that money to buy gifts for children who might not have means to do so. We don't need 20 bucks. What does he need $20 for? But there's someone who this Christmas very likely will not have opportunity to enjoy things like he will. And so give it away. Take action. Do something. Look at a missions video like that, and we may say, oh, wow, that's nice. And then we just go on with our merry lives. Do something. What are you going to do? Go. Go to the mission field. Give. Become a partner in giving. But stewardship also, I love this definition, because it requires responsible distribution of funds. Uh, my clearest illustration of that is would mean that we don't simply give to enable someone. We don't want to do that. We want to be responsible in our giving. But here, here's an observation. There is little, if any, hesitation at the Starbucks line, the Chick-fil-A drive through that wraps around the building every single day. There's little hesitation to say, you know what? What if, what if I eliminated one Starbucks this week? Just one. To start and put that five bucks into a little account and gave it away. What, what, what if I packed my lunch a couple times a week instead of spending six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen dollars, whatever, to eat out? What, what, if I, what if I took that ten dollars and put it into an account? What if I decided to fast one lunch a week in order to remind myself of the need to give to others, and I use that as an opportunity to give something to someone else. There's very little responsible hesitation in that. I'm not saying never go to Starbucks. I'm not saying you got to give up your Chick-fil-A forever. But what I am saying is it wouldn't hurt us to just stop and take some of those things that we spend money, 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 and just say to myself, just this one time, I'm going to use that to give away. Sacrificing for the cause of Christ. I remember, this was years ago, I sat across from a, a young person, and they were a 
all of the reasons why they couldn't afford to give to the work of the ministry. They didn't make a lot of money, and, and I'll get into that in a minute, with time permitting. They didn't make a lot of money, and I get that. I didn't either at the time. And I just listened to excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And I lovingly pointed out that seven days out of seven, they walked around with Starbucks. And I said, how many Starbucks do you buy in a week? Oh, man, I go there twice a day. I get one in the morning, one at night. Really? Were you not just on two separate vacations in the last month? Well, yeah, I'm going to travel. You don't expect me to not travel, do you? Well, didn't say you can't travel, but... Could it be that you could sacrifice a day of your vacation in order to give? Foreign concept. Foreign concept. Why, why would I do that? I, I, I've come across this statement years ago, and I've lived by this. My wife and I decided, by the way, when we first got married, giving to the work of Christ was not an option. It's going to happen. We're going to give to the work of the ministry. And I've always said this, and I've lived by this, not perfectly, but I've tried very hard to live by this principle. I should have at least one significant want in my life that I don't have because of what I give. As a reminder that I am going to sacrifice something that I want in order to give financially to the work of the ministry. And by the way, there's been times when you give a gift privately to someone and they're not expecting it. And man, they're happy, but you're happier. They're joyful for the gift, but you're more joyful to help. You don't broadcast it, you don't tell everybody, but you do it in order to help people in their times of need. Believe, but here's my third reason. Believers are failing to stand against the temptation of materialism. Look, it's expensive to live today. We, we had a household bill that we pay went up exponentially without warning. I get it. Life is expensive. Kids are expensive. And we know that there are many today who live below a livable wage, and I know that. And they're scraping by just for the basic provisions and sustenance. But many of us are living on a very livable wage. And as, again, to quote God and money, Cortines and Balmer said this in a study that was uh, done by a man by the name of Paul Piff, and Piff said this, he said, what we're finding is that as a person's level of wealth increases, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down. And their feelings of entitlement, of deservingness, and their ideology of self-interest only increase. In other words, the more we get, the more we expect and the more we expect, the less we appreciate it. The less we appreciate it, the less we give. And so when Paul gives us this picture of these Philippian believers, there was no thought in their collective mind that giving to the work of the ministry was an option. It's who they were. They gave. Now, here's, here's I know how sermons like this go. Let me say this. I have no idea who gives what. So if you're sitting there thinking I'm talking to you, 
I don't see giving records. I don't ask to see them. I don't want to see them. I have no idea sitting here this morning what any of you give, none, zero. And I don't want to know because it's between you and God. But, but I've been doing this a long time. Here's what happens. There are some of you that give regularly, consistently, and sacrificially, and you're going to walk out of here feeling guilty because you're not giving more. That is not, that is not what I want you to hear. What I want us to hear is if I'm not giving, I'll be blunt, take your excuse and erase it from your mind. I've never given hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've held checks for two, three, four hundred thousand dollars before. I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. You probably can't do that. If you can, talk to me after. No, I'm kidding. You probably can't. But you know what we can do? We can give something, something to the work of the ministry. I don't have time for this. There is no tithe in the New Testament. I don't see that. What I see is consistent, sacrificial giving to the work of the ministry. And then my second reason to give is very short. And let me just share it with you briefly. Paul says in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We give to bring glory to God. Glorifying self comes naturally to all of us. It's in all of our hearts. It's what we do. And when we give, we are giving to the work of the ministry, not so that we are, not so that we are held up as some kind of example or whatever. We are giving for the glory of God. Our lives are not about being thanked or being appreciated, or being liked, or being successful, or living for having influence over people. Those things are fine, I guess, but that's not why we live. We live for the glory of God. That's it. People don't like me. So what? People don't appreciate me. And? People don't thank me. And? Not that they shouldn't. But if I, am, if I am motivated by that, you're going to be abundantly disappointed. We live and minister and breathe and work and give and serve for one reason, to bring glory to God. For Paul, that's what his life was about. It gets muddled in our minds so often. Our mindset about money, our mindset about stewardship, our mindset about giving, giving is very much dependent on our perspective on temporal possessions. I expect this, I deserve this, and the highest purpose of money is to bring glory to God. So, I leave you with this. Give to the work of the ministry for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul could not, humanly speaking, have accomplished what he did without God's people giving. Our people in ministry, myself included, we could not fulfill our ministries apart from your giving. And I appreciate that. But there may be some that God is impressing right now upon your heart that you're not giving, you're not supporting the ministry, you're not sacrificing for the gospel. And it might be that Paul's words might stir your heart 
that you would become a faithful steward, giving to the work of the ministry for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for these verses and this imagery here that the Apostle Paul gives to us. It's a very real reminder for all of us, each and every one of us, that we are to give and you've commanded us to give. Our life isn't about what we receive. It's about what we are able to give. And so often we say the little, the little phrase that it's more, we're more blessed to give than to receive. But if we're honest, sometimes we don't believe that. And yet Paul here makes it clear his, 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 his praise was for the Philippian believers for the fact that they were, they were giving to the point that they were going to receive benefit from it in their own personal lives through provisions and through your blessing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take my feeble words this morning and apply them to each of our lives this, this, this day and that we would be faithful givers to the work of the ministry. Thank you, Lord, for this text, a challenge to me, and I hope it's been to others this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you.